Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. He was, you were scrambling there, Bruce. Scrambling like uh, Miko, Miko Koskinen trying to play the puck behind his net early in the game. The first bad omen in the game when he, you know, bobbled the puck the first two times he touched it. Bruce, the orders are out. The orders are out. The orders are out. I'm just, I'm just, uh, that was, that was one of the, if not the, it was one of the, there's been other really disappointing playoff series for the Edmonton Oilers. That's really high on the list. I have a list, but this one's way up there. It's really high on the list because I just think, Bruce, they gave this series away in so many different ways. They were, they were outworked. They were out-defensed. They were out-goaltended. And Bruce, man, oh man, were they ever out-coached. And I say this, and I say this, uh, you and I and most Oilers fans, Dave Tippett got high praise all year long from us and others. He, he got almost everything right all year long, including halfway through the year, taking a team that might look like it might not make the playoffs and concocting the dynamite line of Leon Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Kyler Yamamoto, which turned into the most exciting and most effective line in the entire NHL in, the, in 2020, in the new year. He, he came up with his unstoppable force, Tippett did. And then he just freaking squandered it in the playoffs by he not playing. He stopped it himself. He stopped it himself without making the Blackhawks do it. And I think that is, it's as close to unforgivable a mistake from a coach as I can think of, honestly. Where you're, you, are, you are shooting your own team in the foot like that. I just, I, I, have, I have been incensed about it. Quietly, not quietly, not happy about it. And t- today I was just... Since game one. Yeah. Since I heard about it. Since the yeah. first practice when I heard right. they were split apart. Yes, that's and, where you were. And um, I just thought, like, today I thought, okay, there's no way they're going to play a fantasy with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto. That line just did not work at all. But there they were at the start of the game. Anyway, we're going to do our two good things, two bad things, and... Two Numbers podcast, our final one, and for months now, we've waited months to do one, and this is our final one for months in terms of an Oilers game, at least. Maybe we'll become Flames fans here, Bruce, or something like that. <laughs> anyway, we'll think about that another day. Uh, I might. I might. I'm kind of loosen up as I get older, and I'm more willing to try new things. Um, and that would be a, definitely a new thing for me, would be cheering for the Flames or the Leafs. Um I chose the Flames against the Canucks in 04. Well, there you go. I've never done. I, it. I really, I really hated that Canucks team. I mean, yeah. Well, they had positive. Yeah. I was rooting for the Flames against them. Yeah. So, Bruce, let's let's start off with our good things. Um, what was your good thing this game? Oh boy, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who peppered. Corey Crawford with nine shots on net. He actually scored the tying goal early in the second period, 2-2. And believe it or not, that would be the last goal the Oilers would score, despite the team peppering Crawford with 35 shots over those final two periods. They were unable to get another one past him. As uh, uh, Chris Cuspert's line of the night, which I heard several times, was, how did that not go in? (laughs) <laughs> yes. How many times did he say that? Four? Oh, it was painful. We just couldn't get a bounce either, like, honestly. Couldn't get one past him. Couldn't get one past him. Nuge got one uh. past him on kind of a junk play where the puck was kind of bouncing around like a like a ping pong ball, you know, and, and uh, 
had happened to settle down uh, a place where Nuge could tap it in. But he had he had many dangerous shots in the game, uh, and uh, he just was unable to get the second tying goal, just like the rest of his teammates were. Uh, but I thought he was a, a strong performer, and uh, uh, he was one of the ones that was really bringing it down the down the stretch as the team tried to tie it up in the last 11 minutes of play, but uh, couldn't get her done. Yeah, they finally looked like a playoff team in those uh, final 11 minutes of the game, Bruce, finally. You know, they did They did get 16 grade-A chances to 12 for the Hawks. All, all They out-chanced, the grade-A chances were, were in the Oilers' favour all season, mm-hmm. all series long. They, but goaltending was a big factor mm. in the end. And, and Koskinen... Um, just uh, he, this isn't a bad thing for either of us. But let's just talk about it for a second. That last goal, what did the winning goal from Chicago? What did you make of that? Uh, I thought it had to be stopped. If you're talking about it from the goalie's perspective, yeah, yeah, I thought it had to be stopped. I mean, it was a one timer from close range, but you got to seal off that short side post. I mean, that's uh, that's absolutely fundamental to goaltending. And I mean, he he found a little. It kind of even tickled his sleeve of his shirt on the way by, but he left a little hole there, and uh, sniper hit the hole, which is more than any of our snipers were able to do. And uh, I just thought it wasn't perfect positioning by Koskinen, and it was a game where, you know, the guy at the other end was playing lights out. You got to match him. You got to match him. You got to match him save for save. I mean, he had 19 shots to eight in the third period, and they got one, and the Oilers got none. So. It's, uh, you know, the my worry this morning, I thought, you know what, Corey Crawford hasn't stolen a game yet in this series, and it's only going to take one now, and it's over, and that's unfortunately that's what, what, what came to pass. Crawford was, uh, you know, the good thing in this game was Corey Crawford. He was outstanding. He really was, and, and I had the same thought. I was thinking, I, it started off with me thinking, okay, could Smith or Koskinen steal a game like I was pondering that last night? And, because an ESPN writer had had identified the Oilers' goaltending as the worst thing about the Oilers in this series, and I think it's on the list. Uh, but there's many worse things about the Oilers in this series. And I was thinking, oh, could Koskinen or Smith steal one? And I'm thinking, you know, maybe they did did so. But you, then I pop, popped in my head, no, but Crawford, he could steal one. And Patrick Kane, I thought we haven't seen the best of Patrick Kane yet. Never did really. And, well, I thought he was actually pretty good today. He was, like, yeah, I, like he never dominated and took over a game. Let's yeah. He didn't score a lot, did he? But uh, he he was good today. Bruce, my good thing will be Connor McDavid. I just thought he played his heart out um, mm-hmm. this game, and he he had two assists, including an absolutely spectacular play on the uh, you know the the well the overall play between him and Archibald was was fantastic. Archibald was really smart on the play because he's looking for McDavid and he rimmed the puck. He, you know, he's his his head's up. He's a smart hockey player. And in the, in the offensive end, he rimmed it around the boards to McDavid, just the guy you want to have the puck. And immediately, every Chicago player eyes on McDavid, and Archibald sneaks into the slot and one-times the puck in. That was just a fantastic play by McDavid. In the end, Bruce, he was in. Uh, he made uh, contributions to nine of Edmonton's 16 grade-A chances. Nine of Edmonton's 16 grade-A chances. He was really going this game. all Every shift, and I don't think you can say that about every Oiler player, um, there was a, you know, you know, I could say it about James Neal and about Nuge and um, Chase on and Chris Russell's always going. I thought Matt Benning was going, but you know, they there just was so many players who were not sharp, and we're going to get into who they were in a, in a moment. But there's such a lack of 
sharpness from about half the team. There was a kind of a dichotomy on the team where about half the team was really into it all game and much of the series, and the other half was kind of, I don't know, dogging it. I don't know, not dogging it. it they weren't. They were just out of sync. They weren't clicking. They weren't clicking, and maybe some of it had to do with the lines. Okay, Bruce, what? Let's go to your uh, bad thing. Yeah, I'm going to have to single out Coach Dave Tippett. Uh, he was the second best coach in the series, and it wasn't particularly close, unfortunately. Uh, and I put something out there on Twitter after the game to that end, uh, pointing fingers like I always do. And I, I got some interesting <laughs> response. Well, you know me. Uh, I, I got some interesting responses from fans, and I'll share with a couple of them with you here. Uh, uh, one guy, well... I'll tell you, uh, uh, I, what I said was Dave Tippett was already in the NHL the day Jeremy Calton was born. But you'd never know it based on what we've seen in the past week, not something I would have predicted. And the replies that I got from uh, 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 Tippett got completely outcoached, plain and simple, no adjustments in the refusal to put the top line together. That's from uh, uh, my friend, Crazy Coach 21, Ben Berland, that's written for us at the Call to Hockey a few times. Uh, Marcus Miller, out coach beyond belief, decimating point shots, Swiss cheese defensive coverage, a PP that got worse as the series went on. It was so painful to be an Oilers fan. Here, here. Uh, this one, this is one that's on my, uh, uh, this, this one feels like I feel. 100%. Completely outcoached. It's like the Hawks had months to prepare for one team and the Oilers didn't have a clue who they'd be playing. No specific game plan or adjustments. So I'm sure that's not entirely true. But by the effect of what we saw, there's a lot of truth in it. Well, they made one adjustment. And like one big lineup adjustment was putting Archibald onto McDavid's line, right? And, and, it, and it wasn't much of one. Like it helped. It helped, but it was always a stopgap. And, I mean, he did score a very nice goal tonight. So, I'll give yep. him that. Like, Cassian would, would do the same now and then with McDavid. So, Not this but, series, he sure didn't. But, yeah. I My tweet on him was, lots of coaching mistakes in NHL history. But Dave Tippett breaking up the NHL's best line of Dreisaitl, RNH, Yamamoto in this series is on the list. Hard to accept. Tippett got almost everything right all year, only to blow a crucial playoff call. Wow. Yeah, no, that was that was uh, a strange one, because that line really was dominant for from January first to the end of the season. Uh, they were, you know, the very best line, or uh, you know, for that stretch of time, and on the short list with you know the perfection line, and so on of being you know uh, major major outscorers, and it was. Um, for whatever reason, I mean, Nuge was dangerous. He would be dangerous with whoever, but I, th I think the uh, the move of them took a little bit Drysital and a whole lot Yamamoto right out of the series. There's um, such chemistry, Bruce, between yeah, those guys. I, know, I mean, they I just know. the second they get out there, they they see the game the same way. They worked like Nuge works okay with McDavid. I'm not saying he doesn't, but he just he is so much better with all three of those players are great players, but they are the sum of their parts is greater when they're together, which is saying a, a ton. And in the second they were out there, they finally put them together with seven minutes left. And bang, with bang, two chances. minutes left, they got the two two of their best chances in the game, Nuge in the slot and dry settle on two on one. And it's it's not a coincidence that that would have happened all series long. I mean, it was almost like dry played the series under protest that new R, R and H wow. 
wasn't on his line. Such was the kind of sloppy nature of his play. I mean, for the NHL's probable MVP, he had a weak series, Bruce, I thought. And and um, I, that's my bad thing is, is him and uh, Nurse in this game. I just thought two big players, big leaders on this team. And I didn't see that in this game. I didn't see um, Dreisaitl stepping up in a big physical way. I mean, I, I think that Athanasio is just such a terrible fit on that line, honestly. just doesn't work. He doesn't, he doesn't see the game at all or play the game at all like those two other guys. He's a straight up and down winger with a lot of speed who, who probably should be on the third line, um, like, you know, uh, as the offensive catalyst on, on that line. He, did, he does well there, but he just is totally, you know, it, it, right off the top, there was a two-on-one with Athanasiu and Dreisaitl. And you just knew Athanasiu, who should have shot. He didn't really have a pass. But, of course, right. he's he's going to try to pass to Leon, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, he feels he defers to Dreisaitl too much when he's out there. And the, 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 the puck gets picked off by the Chicago defender. And it's not like Athanasiu didn't have his good moments in the game. He and he's not a decent player. He came on he in the third period, and that was the. But the first two periods, he was highly ineffectual. What about Nurse Bruce? Like, I, I, he's my bad thing, but I just he just seemed to be out of sorts, bobbling the puck. He just making the wrong decision every time he had the puck. I mean, I, I usually don't see the game through the goggles. Like, there's the whole uh, they don't like Darnell Nurse's game faction, and I usually don't see his game through the through that um, lens. But tonight, I couldn't help it. It, it just seemed like, what are you doing out there? You know, you're not making, every play you're making just seems to be the wrong move in the wrong direction this game. And maybe, I don't know. Yeah, well, I hated his game in game three. Uh, tonight, at least I thought he was being at least proactive again. I mean, game three he was laying down on the ice and, you know, uh, trying to, get, you know, go down with a three-point stance all the time and stuff. And he was part of the big part of when the Oilers sort of tried to sit on the lead in the third period rather than, than attack like they did when the, the one game they successfully did protect the lead and win. Uh, and I thought he was one of the major culprits. And that, that was a game where I mentioned in the in our numbered section how he had zero shot attempts and zero hits in the entire game. Well, tonight he had nine shot attempts and two hits and was at least involved in the play. How many were on net? Uh, Three were on net, four were blocked, two missed the net. He missed (coughs) the net in the final seconds there, which I thought uh, kind of summed up his game. Yeah, he made a great play to keep it in at the brew line, and then, unfortunately, the shot went went wide. It would have been a miracle miracle, uh, thing. Anyway, my bad thing, uh, I don't know if this is on the coach or who it's on, but if you can't, make a simple goalie pull with the season on the line, if you can't execute a bloody goalie pull, then I guess you deserve what you get. I mean, holy crap, David. Yeah, that was... And then and then Russell on, on the ice. Have we mentioned yeah, that at well, the end yeah, of the game? Yeah, well, yeah, last minute of the game, and they got uh, Drysaddle on the bench, and, and Chris Russell was the defenseman on the ice, in the, like last 30 seconds of play, trying to make plays on the other team's end. Like, really? He's the best choice? You need to go put out four forwards or put out Clefbaum. Put out, put out Caleb oh, Jones. Yeah, yeah. Caleb Jones should have yeah. been on the ice. I mean, he, he, yeah, it was five on five, wasn't it? Because yeah, of the well, once they pulled the goalie, it was five on five. But right. get Caleb Jones out That's there crazy. to kill the penalty. Just even to kill the penalty. 
get them out there because you need players. Get out, get out your fastest attacking player so you can try to put pressure on right from the start or early in that penalty to pull the goalie. And you, you don't have Russell on the ice, period, at all in that entire sequence. And so what are you, what are you thinking whole, in that moment? The whole sequence. Like, I haven't gone back and watched it again, so this is all from memory. But that whole sequence, like, there's 2.03 to go, and I got the stupid penalty that kills them to begin with. But there's still 2.03 to left, left right? There's time for desperation time. There's time to, if you can get the puck into their end, you can pull the goalie and get back to five on five. Well, Oilers don't call a timeout, as I recall. Go into the penalty kill with no plan. Let Chicago keep the puck around the outside for 45 or 50 seconds before they even begin to pressure for the puck. Then they finally get it. And first of all, they get into Chicago's end and Koskinen stays in the net. Like there's no plan. And, and, and then the Chicago gets it back in and Oilers win possession again, still four on five. And I think it was Chris Russell dumps it out to center back on a Chicago stick. Like you're killing a penalty. You're allowed to ice it, ice it and storm the boards and get your bloody goalie on the bench. You know, like have an idea of how the hell you're going to perform in an emergency situation. And it was just not there. And it was really only with, you know, 20 seconds left, maybe, that they, they finally got a hold of the puck in Chicago and five on five and had a couple of, you know, sort of looks. But it was like there was no plan. There was no plan. This this series was interesting. Like, we've been complaining for a long time about the uh, lack of offensive capability from the defensive end, like from the D-man on the Oilers. And... You know, they really had an inability to get pucks on net, that entire crew. And finally, you know, at the in this last game, Clefbaum got a few on net. But man, they've got to they've got to get more D men. And Jones is good at this, so I can't wait to see Evan Bouchard in the lineup next year, Bruce. They they've got to find a way to they got to clear out some players and get Evan Bouchard in the lineup to get one more attack, at least one more attacking D men. I don't believe Broberg's going to be ready, but oh. Bouchard. Um, will make a big difference. If you if if Jones and Bouchard are regularly playing on your defensive unit, you're going to improve the puck moving and attacking from the defensive ends considerably. And that's what they need to do uh, for this coming year. But anyway, I'm getting way ahead of myself. <sighs> What's your number? Oh, um, my number is 12.5%. Enough that's said. where the artists sit uh, <laughs> for Mondays. It'll be over quickly mercifully enough and they probably you know they don't deserve it and they you know this is only a one in eight chance but uh, that's where we are David we managed to fall into the draft lottery from friggin second place in the Pacific here we are in the draft lottery and I'm still pissed at the NHL's way that they decided to restart the play I, th I, I really you know that's I mean, the bottom line, people are going to say, well, the Oilers couldn't even beat the Hawks, so who cares? And, and, you know, they're right, and that's the most frustrating thing of all. But it's finding a way to take a team from home ice position to having to play in the play-in series is, uh, was exasperating as hell and the worst possible outcome has come, you know? Here's my other, here's my other number, four. Four months we waited to see four games, and now we've got to wait four more months. It's like having two off-seasons in a row. I mean, it's frustrating as hell. You know, it's been like the last four months writing about a team without playing any games. Well, guess what? We're going to do it for the next four months, too. And I'm pretty choked, I've got to say. That's uh, a very, very disappointing outcome. 
And I'm pissed at the NHL, but mostly, you know, I mean, they, they just didn't get it got done, David. Um, they, they didn't did. have, you know, they have one game to prepare. Whereas, you know, teams like Dallas, third place Dallas, they've been floating around losing games in the round robin game. It doesn't matter. They're through into the play-ins because they were third in their division or something. Bruce, my number is zero. Mm-hmm. That's a good number. Number of hits from Zach Cassie in this game. Yeah. And I'm hesitant to blame Cassian too much. Like, he was not used that much. And, well, there's a reason he wasn't used that yeah. much. He wasn't doing anything. He wasn't doing you know, anything. And anyway, zero hits for Zach Cassian. And this, is, this isn't what was envisioned. And Wow, what a disappointing way to end the year, Bruce. I was. I thought the Oilers could go far in this year's playoffs, and they've got a they've got a good team. I, I think I overestimated their defense. Their defensive. Group. I sure did. Chicago's and, defense badly outplayed Edmonton. Yeah, yeah I think. And, and they, you know, we knew the goaltending was going to be dicey, right? That that was always going to be the dicey thing. And the Oilers goalies, you know, maybe Koskinen in game two when you know the game they won. And, he was he was okay, but other than that, like they they, they were all goaltended this series, even though Crawford wasn't particularly good in the first uh, three games. But I'm just wandering and lost. <laughs> was... Well, talk about Zach Cassian. I mean, here here's one where here's a question we can ask about Ken Holland, since we've been pointing fingers at Dave Tippett throughout this podcast. Ken Holland signed Zach Cassian to a four-year extension in January while he was under suspension. And uh, Zach Cassian, unlike 2017, where he went into the playoffs without a contract, with an expiring contract and everything to play for to prove that he belonged and deserved an extension, this time around, I don't know what we got, but we sure didn't get the hungry version of Zach Cassian. He just didn't didn't have any Uh. edge. He did, you know, he just, I don't know if he was out of shape when he came to camp. I don't know what's going on there, and I don't even want to speculate. All I know is what I saw on the ice was nothing close to the player that he can be. And the Oilers needed him, and he wasn't there. And guess what? He's on the payroll for four years for a nice inflated salary. And, you know, if he's not going to show he up for, if the he big, for the big games, what? what's the point? If he hadn't signed Cassian... Mm-hmm. Then what would Cassian get now, right now, in a contract? Uh, well, I, would he be a UFA this summer? He would have been a UFA. That's why they signed him because his contract yeah. was coming due. But uh, the whatever reason, Holland decided he needed to get it done. Remember, Cassian got suspended for pounding on Kachuk. Took a penalty that cost the Oilers a game in Calgary in doing it, but he did pound on Kachuk, and there was so much love swelling for Cassian that it seemed like his value was going up by the day. And and Holland chose that time to sign him, and that contract is already hasn't even started yet, and it already looms as one of those ones that we're going to be saying how many more years left on that one? You know. Anyway, he's uh, he's going to need to buck up and and come to uh, uh, next season a lot more prepared than he was for this uh, admittedly off-the-wall, oddball format. And I think a, a lot of the players just never found their rhythm. And to yeah. some degree, we can blame COVID for that. You know, this is a weird, yeah. bizarre, uh, totally uh, difficult situation for everyone. 
Koskinen, Smith, Nurse, Dreisaitl, Clefbaum, until I thought he was pretty good tonight. Clefbaum, um, Sheehan, uh, Cassian. Just, it's a fairly, uh, fairly long list of players that uh, Yamamoto, which just. Yeah, Yamamoto my, did nothing. He got no points and he took a bunch of penalties, you know. Brings me so. back to my bitterness about the, the uh, dynamite line. So. We've gone full circle here. I'm, I'm a bit. I'm a bitter man myself tonight. I'm. I'm angry and upset, <laughs> and disappointed. And yeah, uh, you know, the hockey gods, the NHL, my team, everybody's let me down. It feels like, and the playoffs are coming. They're going to play the whole playoffs right through to the Stanley Cup, all in Edmonton. None of us is going to get to see any of the games, except on TV, and. It's, you know, I'm sure I'll get back into watching the playoffs like I have every year for 57 years, except 2005, Gary. And uh, that day will come, but right now I'm feeling pretty disillusioned about it all. Can't lie. Fair enough. Fair enough. Bruce, uh, it was a, it was a, it was overall, aside from this really quite bitter ending, it was a good season for the Oilers. Uh, we'll have plenty to say about it and about this playoff series uh, in the months to come. And we'll be uh, following the playoffs uh, for the rest of the NHL. And I, I'm going to be rooting for whichever Canadian team is there, including for the first time in my life for the Calgary Flames, if I can stomach it. All right. Thanks for talking, well, Bruce. Toronto, they're, they're still playing as we speak. They, they were down 3 nothing, pulled their goalie and scored three with the goalie on the bench. Whereas Edmonton couldn't even pull their goalie right. We only, needed, we only needed one. You know. Alrighty. <laughs> thanks for talking, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> and in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Another malfunction.